Gossip at the Corpse Cart contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Gossip at the Corpse Cup. <laughs> Bear with us as we augment how this is going to play out. We're, we're gonna, playing with it. We're, we're experimenting with different formats. For, for I'm excited about today's format. We're Me winging too. it. You know what? We're winging it. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite gif that applies to every moment of my life. <laughs> yep. yep. Haircuts. Everything. Yep. Shows. Tattoos. Um, so this Live episode, shows. if you've listened to our first episode, you know that this is sort of a little mini spinoff kind of a thing that we're doing where we're going to address some of those bonkers true crime headlines that you've been seeing in your newsfeed for the last month. Mm-hmm. And this episode airs on National Drink Wine Day, so I hope you're drinking some fucking wine. Be festive. God bless. And if you're not, good mm-hmm. for you. Do yeah. whatever you want to do. You That's have autonomy. You it's do, incredible. Right. Bodily Congratulations. autonomy. Congratulations. Until I am thing. a successful cult leader, then I <laughs> guess you can do whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my Thank goodness. Thank you for leading us in, Lucy. Yeah, who are we? You did we? a great job. Oh, you go. I mean, I'm Lucy. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kenyon. Oh, my God. That felt so That weird. didn't feel right. I love it. <laughs> that Keep didn't it. didn't feel right. <laughs> Keep it. Okay. So I know that in the last episode of Gossip at the Corpse Cart, Kenyon and I both covered a more detailed current case. But I feel like news hits us so fast. Mm -hmm. And you amazing folks, Wine Coven, have been sending us some juicy headlines. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I would like to take a moment, and this may become kind of more what I do each week, to just briefly go over my, like, Top three or four favorite stories that have been shared with me over the last month. Yes. Does that sound fun? That sounds, sounds really, really fun. fun. And also, fingers crossed, we can keep this quote unquote mini sode shorter than an hour and a half, which was our we first mini sode. Okay. <laughs> which, to be fair, is like a solid hour shorter than most yeah. of our episodes. It's so it still counts. <laughs> Um, I want to start with one that I know popped up in all of our news feeds very (laughs) frequently. The headline is Minnesota man says he gave ailing wife meth and had a death party before (laughs) she died. I didn't know he was in Minnesota. Oh, Oh, honey, you about to find out. I'm just going to briefly go over this article. It is amazing. Um, So a southwestern Minnesota man reportedly told authorities that he gave his ailing wife methamphetamine and they had a death party before she died, which like, Mm hi, find you a man that will host you a meth death party. Right. But not a man who looks like this because Mm. it's alarming. I'm going to just drop a little photo in the drive for you all. Also wouldn't Uh, be crazy about a death by meth party uh well she was dying anyway it wasn't the meth that necessarily killed her mm-hmm. but he gave her a lethal do- like was that no. any part of the intention no he okay. didn't like intend to kill her that's okay. not what this was about gotcha. um 
So the husband said she did not get the the husband said he did not get his wife medical help because she did not want to die in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, so the wife, Deborah Lynn Johnson, age sixty nine, that's exactly the age I want to die, <laughs> was found dead in her Searles, Minnesota home. Um, Searles, S E A R L E S. Okay, I like Squirrels, um, Minnesota. Yeah, no. On, like, January 24th, I think it was, she was found dead in her home after her husband, Dwayne Not The Rock Johnson, age 58. <laughs> Dwayne The Sponge the Johnson. Johnson. Dwayne Smoking The Rock Johnson, <laughs> who's 58 years old, which, like, hello, also gets you a man who is Cougar. 11 years younger than you. That Called man 911. is 58? Yeah, meth's a hell of a drug, and you're about to hear more. Yeah. Um, responding authorities reportedly found words spray-painted on the front door, a naked Dwayne, not the Rock Johnson, <laughs> several guns, and hundreds of rounds of ammunition when they got to the home. And most of the guns were stolen, and he had some previous charges against him, so, like, that was not... Oh. That's no, no bueno, Dwayne, the Rock Johnson. Great. <laughs> Um, he was arrested without putting up any kind of a fight. He was charged with uh, felony counts of theft and receiving stolen property. Um, he's not like charged with murdering his wife because it's it appears that she died of natural causes. Um, but he got charged for the shit that was in his house. He reported just before noon on January 24th that his wife was dead in their home in the town of less than 200 people. Oof. It's south of New Ulm. It's yeah. like when you think of a small town, <laughs> this is a small town. Yeah. Um, the first Brown County Sheriff's Depar- uh, deputy on scene observed the words, quote, death, party, God, hell. Mm, I don't know. Written it. in red spray okay. paint on the front door. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson came out naked, yelled that his wife was dead, and then ran back inside. <laughs> the deputy followed him oh, in uh, inside and found him in uh, a bathtub. And he said he was trying to, quote, cleanse little white and black things from his skin. Again, oh, no. meth, not yeah. even once. If you care at all about your skin, never, yeah. ever, ever try meth. Well, no, but, like, he didn't have little black and white things on his skin. He was right. hallucinating those things. Right, right but right, then right. that's why they scratch and pick and, yeah. yeah. It's like, hell of a drug, hell of a drug. Um, Deborah Johnson's body was wrapped in a sheet at the top of the stairs. The body was still warm, but there was early rigor mortis in her arms. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson said he thought his <laughs> wife had died at about 8.30 that morning, but had wanted to make sure that she was actually dead before he called 911. He told authorities that his wife had been in a nursing home, and she begged him to take her home to die. So basically what he's saying is, she wanted to be at home to die. I didn't want to call 911 because I wanted to make sure she was dead because if life-saving measures could have been taken, she probably would have been brought to the hospital and maybe back to the nursing home, and she didn't want to be there. Which, mm. like, fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah. yeah, I do get that. I want to die in my own fucking house and then mm. be eaten by my pets. I would like yeah. to, at the age of 91, take mm. my first and last ever hit of heroin and just yeah. go out. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so Deborah, the wife, had previously been in um, a New Ulm, uh, like, transitional care center. Uh, she and her husband left. or He wasn't staying there, but he took her out of there against medical advice because she wanted to leave. She had had two heart attacks. She had diabetes. She had high blood pressure. She also had um, 
mental illness that specifically was not listed in this article, but she was taking antipsychotics. So there was a lot going on with her health overall, and I, I don't think she was in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson told authorities that he and his wife had a death party for the final days of her life. They had been rocking out to their favorite song, Quiet Riot's Mental Health, and they took methamphetamine, and she stopped taking her medications. So, like, Mm. went out where the party. This little toothless baldy Mm. actually sounds like a great husband. I know. And he, he he was doing his best. He said that his wife could not eat or drink, so he was even using snow to, like, wet her mouth and keep her hydrated. Um, he so said that Minnesota. she had convulsions. She had convulsions, but she wouldn't let him call for help, so he held her to keep her from hurting herself. Oh. And fucking get it. He said they had sex about two hours before she died, and what? she stopped convulsing and was more at peace. Oh, wow. my God. So go out. I want to go out like, I, like I'm, you know, go out coming. Go out bumps. Coming, basically. <laughs> um, and then after she died, he said he washed and wrapped her in linen, quote, like the Bible told me to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have a whole different impression of this story now. I know. I know. I know. As I was reading that, turn. I was like, okay, Dwayne. You do you, buddy. Okay, Dwayne. Okay, Dwayne. I see you. <laughs> I see So a little local uh, flavor for uh, one of our amazing headlines. A little Valentine's Day story. Yeah. A feel-good, feel-not-great <laughs> story. Feel my next headline oh my God. <laughs> comes from the weird news section of the Huffington Post. Yeah, my favorite section. So good. The headline is, man breaks lingerie store window to attack Barack Obama mannequin. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many layers to that. There is security footage that goes with this, and it is awesome. Why would a lingerie store have a Barack Mm -hmm. Obama mannequin? Curiously, that question's not very thoroughly answered in this article, but it's it's addressed. Um, so a New York man is facing charges of criminal mischief for breaking the front window of a lingerie store last month to attack a Barack Obama mannequin. Uh, the suspect allegedly told a shop employee that the mannequin was talking to him and he didn't like what it said. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Is this another meth party? You shut no, your I mouth when you're talking to me, Barack so. Obama you lingerie sh- mannequin. Yeah. How dare you, How Barack dare in you? a bra, Barack a mannequin? <laughs> um, so police arrested 41 year old Rule Altanaga on January 26th after surveillance video allegedly showed him using a cinder block to smash the window of Romantic Depot, an adult store in Harlem. Mm-hmm. So we need to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, store manager Corinne Liu told the new, told New York station WABC that she didn't know how to react at first. Quote, all we heard was glass shattering. So we looked around like, what's going on? She said, at first we thought one of the mannequins fell through the window. All of us ran outside and we didn't see anyone until we went to the window and saw a cinder block. Okay. So it wasn't a mannequin. Someone threw this. Mm-hmm. So we started looking around to see who it could be. And then we see a man pacing, which like, I'm sorry from, a, I am from the perspective of a female mm-hmm. seeing a man pacing terrifying. like angrily Unless is you're one like of the most terrifying in a hospital outside right. of like 
the pediatric no, no, no. unit. Like angry man pacing on the street is like one of the scariest things mm-hmm. I it really can is. think of witnessing. I do not like it. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out the window that Altunaga allegedly broke showcased a display with an Obama mannequin dressed as a prince and President Donald Trump dressed as a princess wearing a make, a great, make America great again hat like a little crown. Oh, my God. Yeah. The surveillance video shows someone yanking the Obama mannequin out of the window and throwing it to the ground. The Trump statue was left unharmed. Mm. Altanaga allegedly left the scene, followed by a store employee. Quote, one of the people on our security team was able to catch him and held him for police. This is what's amazing. Okay, so this is the Romantic Depot owner, Glenn Buzzetti said to the Daily News that store employees had to protect the suspect from a crowd of angry Obama fans. <laughs> Quote, he was surrounded. We put our loss prevention people out and surrounded him. He could have been killed. We had women trying to kick him in the head. We had to protect him. He had damaged the Obama image. Oh, my God. Uh, Buzzetti also said that Altanaga was a Trump supporter who kept repeating after he was caught, quote, that he hated Obama and Obama ruined the country. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. And how's your life looking nowadays? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Exactly. Because it sounds like... Maybe you need a little How much help. do you want to bet your mental health care is being covered by the Affordable Care Act? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe your tax return will cover your bail. Oh, wait, you're not going to get one. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it'll be about what? What was it like? Eight percent less. 8%. Yeah, 50 bucks is what I was about to say. 8% less than last year. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, an employee says told the news that she believes Altanaga is mentally ill, um, said that the, he said the Obama mannequin was talking to him and he didn't like what Obama was saying. So, (laughs) yep. Mr. Altanaga, I wish you all the best. I'm sorry that Obama mannequin talked smack to you Was giving you so much lip. Exactly. It's, Mm -hmm. uh. Wow. It's a rough situation. So yeah, I, I will make sure that you have access to a link because there is a great, mm-hmm. great little bit of security footage. But yeah, man breaks lingerie store window to attack Barack Obama mannequin. Wow. wow. That's incredible. Um, yeah. Obviously, I just want to mention that a lot of people, and thank you from the bottom of my fucking heart, sent me the link to the zoo that will name a cockroach after your accident <laughs> feed into a beer cat on Valentine's Day. So many um, cockroaches named Dan right now. So, oh my God. I can't even imagine. Uh, the live stream from the uh, El Paso Zoo is actually going right now as we're recording this because today is Valentine's Day that we're recording. It will be, have been done by the time you hear this episode. Um, but it was a super cool initiative. The El Paso Zoo didn't specifically ask for donations, but other zoos also hopped on board. Um, the Hem- Hemsley Convention Center in Kent, England, will also do it for exchange for a donation to the zoo. Um, you can also do it for the Bronx Zoo, which <laughs> calls this a, quote, eternal and timeless gift, which I cannot <laughs> agree with more. Um, oh, my But God. I just wanted to I have read... been meaning to up my charitable giving in 2019. Oh, this is like, this is how you get me to donate yeah. to charity. Yeah. I also um, saw little... one where you can feed herrings to penguins at a different and, zoo. And there was a different zoo that did salmon to bears. So yes. you can have a bear ripping apart a fish. <laughs> 
<laughs> with your ex-lover's name on it. Oh. Like, fuck <laughs> yes. Um, I just wanted to read the little uh, like flyer for the El Paso Zoo. The event was called Quit Bugging Me. <laughs> Name a cockroach after your ex. Names will be displayed on your on our Meerkat exhibit and on our social media starting February 11th. Watch live February 14th at 2.15 p.m. on Facebook or our Meerkat webcam to see our Meerkat mob crunch down on these little bugs. <laughs> genius whoever it seriously is came up with this at that zoo like hats off that's amazing brilliant it was some like recently scorned 19 year old intern i hope was gonna do it anyway (laughs) and then because it's valentine's day this is actually not in the news but i just wanted to share this story that my friend julia is actually going through right now hi julia um So last year on Valentine's Day and the day after Valentine's Day, she received two um, bouquets of roses, one on Valentine's Day, one the day after, delivered to her work. Hmm. No card, no note. She like posted to social media trying to get anybody to fess up to it. She asked a bunch of her friends, her family, her sister. This feels creepy. Yes, it does. And it gets worse. Oh, God. Um, So she has been trying to figure out who sent them, never figured it out. So this year, this bouquet, exact same bouquet from, it's from Bachman's, um, is delivered. Again, same situation, no note. And um, no, no correspondence in the intervening year. No correspondence in, in, in between, none. Does oh she have a, a person, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend? No, she does not have a significant other. And no friends or family will, will cop to this, even now that she's at the point where it's like, this is scaring me. If you did this, please let me know. Yeah. So Bachman's has been super cooperative. She, she called them. Here are the lengths to which this person has gone to remain anonymous, which has urged me to tell her to file a police report, which I believe she's done. Um, so this person went into a Bachman's to purchase a gift card. They paid for the gift card with cash. So yeah. there's no like credit card right, name link. Right, right. Then God, who they has cash? It's creepy in itself. I know. <laughs> they purchased the flowers. They have them sent to my friend Julia. They used a fake name. <gasps> they left a fake phone number. No. They left an address that isn't theirs. Like this address is associated with like an apartment building full of people that do not match the name that they use. Oh the my email God. that they use, we pulled up like social media accounts that are associated with this email, not the same person. Ah! Bachman's even went as far as to provide security camera footage of this guy <gasps> going in and buying the gift card. Because they know the gift card number that was used to purchase the flowers because he bought the gift card and then he bought the flowers online. So they knew the date and time of the transaction for the gift card. So that narrowed down this camera footage. And then they knew the date and time that that gift card was used online to send these flowers. Oh, my God. I hate this. So Bachman's gave her the security footage and she doesn't recognize him at all. Has no idea who this guy is. Oh, my God. Isn't that fucked up? So, like, it's not cute. It's not funny. You know, I don't. She sent the picture to a couple of us, and she doesn't want to share the photo because she's actually kind of concerned that, like, this could turn into something gross, which it could. But none of us like close friends of hers recognize who this person is. She cannot identify who this person is. It's really scary that he knows her name and where she works. So she, yeah. He probably knows where she lives. 
and that I he's don't been even want to think about, about it. it for a year because he's now yeah. done it twice. Yeah. And oh, Bachman's fucking weird. Bachman's probably would have been able to tell her if he had been doing that for anybody else. Right. Like, it right. might seem less scary if there were 50 other people he was doing this to, at least for one specific person. I don't you know? know. That's creepy, too. Like, just don't. It's creepy, but, like, I would feel less in fear for my life if sure, I, it sure. wasn't the only one. If he's one. fixating on multiple just, people and not... Obviously, don't tell us where she works, but does she have a public-facing job? Like... Uh, I mean, yes, yes, she does. Jeez. Oh, yeah, my like God. That. Oh. Yeah. It's Be super safe, Julia, for fuck's creepy. sake. That's so scary. Yeah. So happy Valentine's Day. Men are garbage, which I got, like, reported on Facebook for saying. So fuck the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you want to send anonymous flowers, great. But if it is spooking the person that you are sending them to, fess the fuck up. Yeah. Not cool. You're the worst. I would argue yeah. that you should fess up at some point regardless. I agree. Anyway, that's my segment. Ooh, yay. Great segment. News of the month. I, know, like, I, I like Amanda's weird news corner. Go I ahead. am too. fucking here for it. I cannot wait for next month. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ask yourself this one very important question. Is your underwear making you happy at this moment? Hmm. Or were you not even thinking about your underwear? Wouldn't you like to be wearing underwear that is so soft that it makes you feel like you're making love to an actual cloud? Making love to a cloud all day long? <laughs> yes, I would. Sign me up. How do you feel about this? Well, I've got one word for you. Me undies. Yes. Y'all, as someone who is an avid non-underwear wearer, this is my favorite underwear. In fact, it's not just my favorite underwear. It's also a lot of people's favorite underwear. BuzzFeed said this about me undies. Quote, they feel like actual heaven against your skin. We're going to assume heaven is really soft in this context. And I couldn't agree more. Um, Ask Men said they feel like silk drenched in hand lotion, which kind of (laughs) grosses me out. But like they're trying to reiterate how incredibly soft this underwear is. It's insanely soft. It's so good. And they're super fun. They have all these different prints and colors and styles. You can feel like your loins are being hugged by joy itself and also have multiple style options for anyone with a booty. You can choose between classic colors to adventurous prints, which I typically lean toward. Um, These prints are like plant babies and shamrocks. I have... Christmas underwear. I have Halloween underwear. I have the wine and cheese underwear. Those crack me up. I love them so much. Crack me up, pun intended. (laughs) They're my favorite panties. (laughs) I love wearing them. They're so soft and incredible and everybody should get on our level. So Lucy, how do you get on our level with me undies? Well, first of all, for real, these me undies are constantly at the top of my underwear pile because Mm -hmm. I can't like I've gone me undies, I can't go back. Can't go back for real. So to get fifteen percent off your first pair, get free shipping and a one hundred percent satisfaction guarantee, which you won't need because you will be one hundred percent satisfied. Go uh-huh. to meundies.com forward slash gals. So again, that's meundies.com forward slash gals. 
and uh, you can get that 15% off. You will not regret it. Treat mm-hmm. your bum. Treat it. All right. Well, we all know that I am physically incapable of doing, like, funny short news headlines. <laughs> Kenyon has already reverted back to her normal, regularly scheduled program. We're all within our wheelhouse, babies. We're oh, I all love it. Within our wheelhouse, you're clearly really fucking good at it because I cry every time we record from your case. I didn't know that. No, oh. I don't cry. Okay, oh my god, okay. I haven't cried in years. Okay, just okay. kidding. That's not true. <laughs> okay, so this case is, I would say, probably the most recommended case we've ever gotten because Very as possible. soon as we announced gossip at the corpse cart we got inundated with oh, suggestions yeah. for this case and babies it was already on my radar we are mind melding i got you i already know what you're going to say and i i'm not even looking at your notes yep so sit back relax Allow yourself to be transported to the magical world that is present-day Toronto. Oh, we love Toronto, girl. <laughs> yeah, Amanda and I have a, have a history with Toronto. We do have a history with <laughs> Toronto, and it is debaucherous. Okay, of course, I am talking about the landscaper serial killer, Bruce MacArthur. Yup. Oh, yeah, baby. He is a monster. Yeah, he's a real creep. Also complicated. So, um, Bruce is actually one of his middle names, along with Donald. Um, but it's what he's always gone by, so I'm just calling him Bruce. Uh, he was born in Ontario in 1951 and grew up with his family on a farm outside of Argyle, Canada. His parents regularly fostered, quote, troubled children from Toronto, so... In addition to Bruce and his biological siblings, there were often as many as six to ten foster children coming and going from the home at any given time. That's a lot. Okay. That's a lot. I mean, I think it's great. Admirable, but a lot. Yeah, that his parents wanted to help all these children. But maybe on some level when it gets to be so many children coming and going, I could see that putting a big... Almost too much to handle. A big strain on the other kids just mentally. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Bruce attended a one-room schoolhouse and was known as a bit of a teacher's pet and a tattletale. He also had very complicated feelings towards his strict father who may have been homosexual. So the theory is that his dad might might have been closeted gay and um, Bruce picked up on that and was, like, resentful of it and... Fragile masculinity. Yeah. Bruce uh, had trouble accepting his own sexual orientation uh, given the oppressive mores and social stigma of the time. So, you know, he grew up in the 50s and 60s. And apparently consensual adult same-sex contact was only decriminalized in Canada in 1969. Wow. Yeah. So Bruce himself had trouble coming to terms with his own homosexuality, and then that further complicated his relationship with his father and whatever. Um, And before he 
came out as gay. He married Janice Campbell when he was 23, and the couple went on to have two kids, Melanie and Todd. Never name your kid Todd. My <laughs> uncle's name is Todd. I'm sorry. Name your kid Tad. <laughs> Tag. Just a tad off. Tab. Tab. Oh tab. If I ever have a kid, its first name is going to be its first name is going to be Tad. Its middle name is going to be Off, and its last name is going to be Jacobson. If I had a child, if my last name was Pepper, I'd name my child Tab, and force him to become a doctor. Should be Tab Doctor Pepper. Doctor Tab Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor Pepper. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got it. Um, Bruce was earning a living uh, while raising his kids as a traveling sock salesman. <laughs> How is there a need for such a service? Hey, <laughs> if a traveling sock salesperson knocked on my door right now, mm-hmm. first of all, I wouldn't answer it because we're recording, but like. After we record. And because we're millennials, and if we're not expecting food delivery, we're not going to answer the fucking door. Oh, I peek. I peek. And if they took credit cards, because I clearly, again, don't carry cash, who the fuck does, I'd I'd be buying some socks. I just want to say how fucking bullshit it is that somebody in the 70s could get married at 23 and have two kids and support their whole fucking family as a traveling sock salesman. (laughs) And we graduated into the fucking Great Recession. It's such... Bullshit. I hate it all. Okay. That is the weirdest part. So, in the mid-1980s, he became very involved in his local church community, um, and it's theorized that this is was possibly a way of distracting himself from his homosexual feelings and inclinations, and so he tried to just suppress it, go to church more, you know, pray the gay away. Ugh. But this strategy... Fuck you, Mike Pence. I fucking hate that so much. <laughs> but obviously this strategy of suppressing his sexual orientation through religious fervor didn't last long. And by... Shocked. <laughs> the early 1990s, Bruce began having sexual affairs with men. About a year later, he came out to his wife Janice, but the couple stayed married and living together for another six to seven years. Um... And I'm not sure whether Janice, like, gave her consent, like, explicit consent, or if she gave her, like, tacit acceptance of his extramarital affairs, or if he, like, came out to her but then vowed to stop and just carried Mm, on behind her back. I'm not sure which of those it was. Also in... The 1990s, the family began facing financial difficulties. So obviously, the traveling sock trade didn't was take dwindling. Off. <laughs> <laughs> Being replaced by Amazon drones. Amazon.com is the version of a traveling sock salesman. <laughs> That's true, actually. Modern day traveling salespeople. It's just Amazon. Um, So to stay afloat, Bruce and Janice remortgaged their home, but eventually they couldn't keep up with the mounting bills and they declared bankruptcy. And then they also separated at this time and Bruce moved to Toronto and began living as an openly gay bachelor. Congrats, Um, buddy. Yeah. So he's in his 40s at this time. 
Interestingly, Bruce's then-teenage son, Todd, had some serious issues around his own sexual urges, but in a very different way from his father. Um, So while he was a teenager, Todd began, quote, obsessively making obscene phone calls to women he did not know. Ugh, fuck you, Tad. (laughs) And uh, this actually exacerbated the family's financial troubles because they became embroiled in several lawsuits trying to defend their son. Ugh, just don't cut him loose. I mean, Let him go. He eventually served 14 months in prison for these harassing phone calls. Wow, I'm impressed, actually. Which is kind of like a shockingly harsh sentence. So these phone calls must have been a lot. It's also Canada, though. I guess. So maybe they take this shit more seriously than we do in the U.S. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good, but I was just surprised by that. Okay, but back to Bruce. So it is now uh, Halloween 2001. Bruce meets a male sex worker on a chat line. He is later invited to the man's apartment to check out his Halloween costume, which is the most gay sentence I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) Scott. I'm looking at you, your obsession with your Halloween costumes, which are incredible. You do great work. But this sentence had me worried for you. I'm consistently oh, impressed with Scott's costumes. They're He's above and beyond. a magician with his costumes, but I could see him meeting a stranger and being like, come over, you have to see my Halloween costume. You and have to murdered. see my hats. <laughs> So uh, when Bruce enters the man's apartment, he strikes the unsuspecting man over the back of the head with an iron pipe that he, quote, often carried. What? What? Just casually? Yeah. What the fuck? Don't trust a dude who often carries a fucking metal pipe. pipe. This does remind (laughs) me, though, of our 10-year high school class reunion when Amanda and I disembarked the boat and we're on our way to the parking lot to get a ride because we were wasted (laughs) to my house. And we're walking down Water Street in Excelsior and Amanda just keeps grabbing random things as we pass you know, them, she got a traffic cone. You got a valet what I ticket. Do when I'm drinking is out of my control. And one I of get, those things was a big metal pipe. It and, was. I did grab a pipe. I did. And I you did. left it in the yard at my parents' house. And my parents came back from vacation like four days yep. later after I had pieced out of town. I was gone. And my mom thought that it like fell off an airplane or it fell off something <laughs> on the house. Had some sort of and it was sinister. this big mystery. And it wasn't for, like, weeks. She it. happened to mention it to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, Amanda brought that home. Amanda was drunk and shoved a metal pipe into her spanks and brought it home with her after the high school reunion. <laughs> so did not this fall happened. from an airplane. Don't no. send it to the Smithsonian. No, no sinister intent. She was it's, mystified. It's just my drunk, <laughs> sticky fingers. <laughs> well, at least you don't regularly carry well, this around. Carry a metal pipe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the victim survived, thank goodness, uh, but he lost consciousness. And when he came to, 
He dialed 911 and was taken to the hospital, and he had serious injuries that required months of medical interventions and physical therapy. Oh, um, my God. And he was, like, obviously traumatized, and it was a serious assault. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, after the incident, Bruce MacArthur turned himself into police, and he claimed that he did not remember the attack or why he might have done it. Mm, the convenience of amnesia. Mm. So his defense attorneys postulated that his behavior may have been a side effect of the anti-seizure medication that he was on, but it wasn't because he had seizures. It was because he was using this medication as poppers, i.e. Oh, tr- that was my first yes. recreational drug. <laughs> oh, well, they're designed to enhance sexual pleasure. Yeah, they are. Didn't work that way for me, but, you know. Okay. That's all about the dose. Um, So sometimes (laughs) it enhances sexual pleasure, and sometimes you try to beat a man to death. Who knows? Yeah. Little Um, of this, little of that. Yeah. So his defense attorneys argue that he was at low risk of reoffending. How could they possibly know that? He pled guilty to assault with a weapon and assault causing bodily harm, and he served one year of house arrest Six months um, with a 10 p.m. curfew and three years probation. So he didn't serve any jail time. Bizarrely, the judge also laid down very specific and restrictive probation stipulations, including that he wasn't allowed to go near certain neighborhoods that were known as, like, gay scene neighborhoods. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Um, That's not right. And that he uh, couldn't spend time with male sex workers, which is already illegal to spend time with sex workers in Canada in 2001. Um, right. And that he couldn't do poppers, which if you don't have a prescription for them, you couldn't, you can't legally do anyway. So it's just, it was just like a weird sentence. Is that true in Canada? Because in the States, you can buy them at Sex World. It's oh. not a prescription thing. I don't know then. I thought it yeah, was a they're prescription. Not like, they're not like an illegal drug. Oh, okay. Well, then the judge I said th- that he can't use poppers. I think poppers uh, is a general term that encompasses a lot of different things and that some forms of it are not legal in the U.S. and some are. It's just an inhalant. It's like a chemical inhalant. The one that I used was supposed was advertised in Britain as a room deodorizer. Right. Isn't that just so huffing? Like, is that the same as poppers? It's dependent on the like chemical makeup of what you're huffing. And mm-hmm. what's in poppers is not illegal. Also, like, all the in, little baby muffins that, that listen to this show never do this. <laughs> do not do this. All right. <laughs> but obviously there wasn't really effective law enforcement like mechanisms to enforce these rules. He did have to submit his DNA to a law enforcement database, which is good. And undergo mm-hmm. psychiatric counseling, including anger management. And then side note, in 2014, this conviction was wiped clean from his criminal record, meaning that it would no longer appear on criminal background checks or appear in subsequent investigations. Uh, why? I don't know why. He was in his 40s. No, he was in his 50s. He had plenty of time left to hate crime gay people. Well, he he is gay and he's living as openly gay, so it's not. 
Oh, wait. I got confused about who this was. The son or the dad. This is all Bruce. This is all the dad. Oh, okay. I thought it was Tad Todd for a second. No. Mm. I got confused. Not Um, Dr. Pepper. So, but why why would a 50-year-old committing a brutal assault that he pled guilty to, why would that get erased from his criminal record? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It's Canada. We'll never know. There's no way to know. Yeah. So rewind a little bit because some of these things are happening simultaneously. So in 2002, while the assault case is still ongoing, so the assault happened in 2001, the, tr- the case is ongoing in 2002, uh-huh. Bruce registers with a gay fetish dating app uh, indicating his interest in BDSM and the fact that he is seeking submissive partners. Okay, fine. Not a witch, but you do you. Mm-hmm. He was also active on other gay dating apps and websites, including Grinder, Growler, Scruff, Man Jam, Daddy Hunt, Silver Daddies, <laughs> Bear 411, Bear Forest, and my personal least favorite, Squirt. Yes. Squirt. <laughs> there's a there's a dating app called Growler. Yes. Because that's so interesting to me because in Minnesota, that is a craft beer magazine. Boo, well. About like craft beer Is that beer what news. we're calling it now? Mm, yeah, I wish. Because like growlers s- are like those big ju- like glass jugs that you can get craft beer in from mm-hmm, tap rooms mm-hmm. under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. So there's a magazine called Growler, but I've never heard of it in like a term like, like yeah. that. Hmm. Well, it's I growler. like silver daddies. I love silver daddies. Well, you don't like daddy hunt? No. <laughs> Silver Daddy. First of all, Daddy's come to me. Second of all, Silver, Silver Daddy's. Daddy. It's Daddy time in the city. In Toronto. Ring, ring, ring. Hear the ring. Mm, soon it will be Daddy's day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so again, all of this totally fine. Do what you want. You know, sign up for yeah, those dating apps. Over time, though, he developed a reputation in these in these communities for preferring exceptionally rough sex, like kind of past the the boundary even for a lot of BDSM community mm-hmm. members, um, and for having an explosive temper. Oh, not a good combo. Yeah. And there was like an incident at a coffee house where he like angrily knocked all the glass jars off of a counter in a rage and started screaming at someone and like. Oh, my God. Just not not great. Ninho. Ninho. No. Uh, Bruce was particularly attracted to men of Southeast Asian or Middle Eastern descent or origin, and to men who self-identified as bears, uh, which Wikipedia described as gay men with stereotypically masculine traits such as full beards. And a bunch of hair, baby. Hairy mm-hmm. bears. They um, love a hairy bears. Daddy. He also had a collage on his bathroom wall of photos of naked men with erections. And I mean, same. <laughs> and... your point my note just says like again it's fine you do you bro but like also does anyone need a porn collage on their bathroom wall 
And yes. if it's art, <laughs> fine, but if it's DIY, that is just tacky. I mean, it's... I'd prefer it in a binder myself, but... Um, <laughs> I have both. You know. <laughs> All right. Also, when you have, like, company over, like, you have your parents over, that'd be awkward. Right, well... How do you think I got the photos? They were gifts. <laughs> well, his son, Todd, would stay with him for a while and then, like, have friends over and stuff, and that was the bathroom. It wasn't, like, his private it. bathroom. It was the shared bathroom. Anyway, whatever. Hmm. It's, his, it's his house. He can do whatever he wants. I know this guy is, like, a horrible monster, but, like, judgment-free zone. I love his decor. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> so, but also, he's a fucking monster. His monsterdom is is separate, I guess, from his decor. So during this time, Bruce was self-employed, working as a landscaper slash gardener. He had an old van and some basic gardening tools and was always, quote, accompanied by an older white man who appeared to be romantically involved with him um, and also a day laborer, usually of Southeast Asian or Middle Eastern descent. Um, and that's according to one of... Uh, his landscaping clients. Um, in terms of who this older white man was, we don't know. Because uh, he, he didn't seem to, like, have a steady boyfriend. For a while he did, but not towards the end. So, And the day laborer could be different people on different days, like they were working for him, or it was one specific person? This is just one witness's account, so it could have been, like, during the period that he was working on this one person's house. Gotcha. It was always the same assistant guy, or maybe it was recurring. We don't know. Okay. And like I said, sometimes his son Todd, who was out on parole and living with him at the time, would also come and help out. In winter, when the landscaping business was obviously hitting a lull... He played Santa Claus at the local no. mall. Oh, no. And go to the drive, because... Oh, don't no. make me. He really looks like Santa Claus. Oh. He is, is that him with the burned. Peak? Yeah, he's totally red in one of these photos, but yeah. Like, he look, he could definitely play Santa Claus at the mall. Yeah. Yeah. A convincing it. Santa. Right. Wow. Okay. Meanwhile, between 2010 and 2017, a string of gay men, particularly those of South Asian or Middle Eastern descent or origin, began disappearing from Toronto's gay village neighborhoods. No. But investigators were initially not sure that the disappearances were necessarily linked. Um, so at first they were, like, investigating them as separate incidents, and then they've then they created a one special task force to address a couple of the cases and that was called Project Houston and then later they created another task force to address some of the other cases and that was called Project Prism and then at the very end these two kind of merged based on the evidence hmm. so okay in September 2010 40-year-old Skandaraj uh Navaratnam, who went by who went by Skanda, and he's a native of Sri Lanka. He disappears. Hmm. By the summer of 2013, two other middle-aged male immigrants of South Asian origin also disappeared: Abdul Basir Faiza and Majid Hamid Kayan. 
In November 2013, Bruce MacArthur is linked to two of the missing men via his dating app history. Ooh, He's geez. questioned by police and admits to being longtime friends with Skanda. They, like, were buddies, hung out. Um, and other witnesses could attest that they, like, hung out often at this one gay bar and were friends. And then he also was linked to having previously had a sexual relationship with Majid, but he said that he had broken things off a while ago. Okay. Police don't consider Bruce a suspect at this time. Instead, they considered him a potential witness because he frequented these bars and clubs in the area and knew people. So they were asking him for help. Like, if you see something, say something. Weird. Yeah. The disappearances of middle-aged men from Toronto's gay scene continue between 2013 and 2017. On April 14th, 2017, 44-year-old Salim Essen, originally from Turkey, goes missing. And then on June 26th, 2017, the day after Pride Toronto, so for those of you that don't know, maybe international, well, Pride's international, but whatever, whoever doesn't know, Pride is... um, it's hosted in pretty much all major cities around the world, and it's a gay pride parade, basically. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. To be out Celebration and loud Celebration of all of the gayness. Yeah. Yeah. I so this it. is the day after Pride. 49-year-old Andrew Kinsman, who is an openly gay man, unlike a lot of these other victims who were not openly gay. Mm-hmm. He disappeared from an area called Cabbage Town, Canada. Your names are Ooh. getting as weird as England's. I, love I it. am into Cabbage Town. <laughs> I fucking love Cabbage. Same. <laughs> Lucy's gonna join Cabbage Town dating app. It just smells oh like God. farts. <laughs> mm, I love it. Oh my god! Um, two days later, friends reported him missing to police. So they they see him at Pride, they hang out with him, and then no one sees him for two days, and they're like, "What the fuck?" His apartment didn't show any signs of foul play, but Andrew had left behind his prescription medicine. Like, he obviously Mm. hadn't, like, packed and gone somewhere. Um, And this could indicate, I mean, because, like, sometimes that doesn't seem that suspicious, but if he's, like, diabetic, that's medicine he's going to take with him everywhere. So sometimes that can be an indication of hastily leaving somewhere or being, like, forcibly removed or kidnapped Mm -hmm. right right i don't i know that he volunteered a lot with aids charities um but i don't know if he was hiv positive or not so i don't know if his prescription medicine was linked to that if it was then that would be very serious like you you yeah because you need to take that stuff every day right um but that's speculation just based on what his hobbies and interests were, but I don't know for sure. Um, but also his 17-year-old cat was without food or water. <gasps> no, no, honey. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, visceral reaction out of me. So, <laughs> he would never go he that would long never. without feeding little kitty pants. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Is that's the what, cat okay? The cat, well, I'm sure the cat, well, it's was only two just years ago. Just tell me it's fine. Just lie to the me. Cat's just lie. The doing great. The cat is on a farm upstate. Whew. Oh, God. Chasing oh, mice. God. 
Just chilling, yarn for days. Okay. Do you know that this cat is dead? No, I don't know. A farm okay. upstate is a euphemism. This cat was born in the year 2000. Can cats live to be 19? Oh, yeah. Oh, Happens yeah. all the time. Oh, then it's probably oh, fine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Police also <laughs> discovered the name Bruce written on Kinsman's calendar for the day he went missing. Okay. Um, and surveillance footage from that day showed Andrew approach a Dodge Caravan, of which there were only five similar models registered to owners named Bruce in the Toronto area. Dot, dot, Uh-oh. dot. Was one of them this guy? This Bruce? I believe so. Oh. a Claus. Uh, Meanwhile, as the investigation was unfolding, friends of Andrew uh, launched the Missing Rainbow community to solicit and provide uh, safety information to members of the LGBTQ community. Mm. Uh, So they set up safety hotlines uh, that were anonymous so people could... People who didn't want to interact with the police could still call in tips or call in and ask advice for how to date safely. Um, They appealed to gay dating apps to provide crucial information to investigators. Um, They also had volunteers searching nearby ravines on a weekly and then on a daily basis looking for all these missing men. That makes me happy. I know. And I want to note here that there were other deaths in the area during this time period, including that of a um, transgender sex worker of color whose name was Allura Wells. Um, But investigators don't believe that Bruce MacArthur was responsible for her death. So that's why I'm not going into it more in depth. But I just want to note that, like, there were other victims in this community at the same time that they aren't linking to Bruce MacArthur, but they're... Lives and deaths matter as well. So, quick question. At this point, are investigators aware that that first kind of group of men that you mentioned who were of Middle Eastern descent, mm-hmm. did they, but you said that they weren't necessarily outed gay? Right. Does the gay community and slash the investigators know that they were part of this cluster at this point? Yes, because of their dating app history. So their families didn't know, but investigators knew that they were involved in same-sex relationships and and sexual encounters. Um, So by late August slash September 2017, Bruce MacArthur finally becomes the prime suspect in the disappearances of five men. On October 3rd, police found Bruce's vehicle, the Dodge Caravan, parked slash maybe abandoned, I couldn't find out, at an auto Mm. parts shop 70 miles northeast of Toronto. So he probably figured once there was a lot of police investigation on the Andrew Kinsman case that he needed to, like, get his car out of town. Our Canadian friends are going to need this in kilometers, please. I <laughs> can just shuts down. One hundred and forty-two uh, kilometers northeast. Is that right? It'd be like a hundred and fifty. Hundred. It'd be like a hundred and seventy. I'm demanding it, but I have no way to corroborate it because I cannot make. I'll those. Google it. I'm no, saying hundred and seventy. I'm 
gonna say okay. one forty-seven. Oh, I was way off. We were both pretty off. One hundred. You're crushing it. Oh, damn. Okay, no idea. So, um, they seized and searched the vehicle and uncovered trace amounts of blood, which was later identified as that of Andrew Kinsman. Oh, no. And then there was also DNA evidence in the van linked to Selim Essen, the Turkish mm. gentleman. Mm-hmm. In January, forensic computer analysts were able to uncover some gruesome deleted files off of Bruce's computer, uh, including postmortem photos of multiple victims. Ooh. Oh, my God, that he had taken? Yes. Ew. And, and then deleted. What, just everyone, unless you're like an actual computer hacker, don't try to hide shit from your computer. People, I mean, even then, an it. actual computer hacker will know that it, it's so hard to get rid of that shit. Yeah. Everything leaves a trail, baby. So at this time, the police put round the clock surveillance on Bruce, and then he was arrested the following day. Um, and the reason that he was arrested instead of can like them continuing to just trail him. I think they hoped that he would like lead them to where the bodies were buried. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the next day a young middle Eastern man was seen entering Bruce's apartment. Oh Oh. no. And so investigators felt that they had to intervene immediately to protect this man. And so they swooped in, and when they got into the apartment, the man was already handcuffed to Bruce's bed. Apparently the (laughs) handcuffing was consensual, but then Bruce had put a black bag over the man's head (gasps) and taped his mouth shut, which was not consensual. Oh, Oh my God. So he was, like, literally in the act of, of harming another victim. Oh, my God. It's such a scary visual, isn't it? Oh, oh my God. Investigators Any- busting in. He's like gasping for breath. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Anything yeah, no. like over your head, bag over the head. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, so that same day, January 18th, investigators searched with cadaver dogs five properties at which Bruce had done landscaping work. No. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Quote, cadaver dogs took a strong interest in large planter boxes on January 19th. The planters had frozen to the ground, requiring heaters to thaw them. In total, police discovered the dismembered skeletal remains of at least three people in two of the 12 large planter boxes seized. Although the remains had not yet been identified, police had gathered enough evidence to charge MacArthur with three additional counts of first-degree murder in the presumed deaths of Majid Kayan. Uh, His remains were found in a compost heap on one of these landscaping properties. Can you imagine, like, paying for a landscaping service and then all of a sudden police are showing up at your door months later and Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, sorry, we have to dig through... Your gardens because your gardener buried, buried his bodies victims on here. your property. Mm-hmm. That would be so eerie. Mm-hmm. So eerie. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely write a book about it and launch my career. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, wife from True Detective season three. Um, Thousand percent. I also suspect that she did it, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Sarush, another victim, Sarush Mahmoudi, uh, who disappeared in 2015, and Dean Lisowick, who was a homeless man who had never been reported missing, but they, they must have had his DNA and stuff on file because they were able to identify him from these remains. Ooh. Uh, Navaratnam's remains and those of Mahmoudi were identified through dental records. And then one of the six sets of remains was later identified as Andrew Kinsman. Mm. Criminologists also cast suspicion upon Bruce's past as a traveling sock salesman. It all circles back to the socks. <laughs> socks to be you. Socks to be you. The true crime is pushing socks on other individuals, to be honest. I'm into it. You know how I feel about socks. I hate yeah, socks. I'm not a big fan. Um, so, quote, his method of disposal suggested a sophisticated killer who had developed his craft and as most serial killers begin in their 20s, the crimes could go back several decades. No. And uh, these criminologists indicate that police might have a province-wide investigation ahead of them because... Oh, God. They don't think and he started in his 50s. I wouldn't think That's you'd start so in your 50s either. Yeah. So um, it's clear that Bruce MacArthur targeted vulnerable men. So many of his victims were refugees or asylum seekers. Um, mm -hmm. Even those that were immigrants, they were immigrants from Afghanistan. Um, some had histories of drug or alcohol abuse or of sex work. Um, what's more, his victims did not often have fixed addresses. Um, and some, many were still in the closet, so they were leading double lives in order to keep their sexuality hidden from their families. I was just going to say, yeah. even something as simple as that can, because you, Be you're enough. not telling people where you're going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you're keeping all that stuff under wraps. So I, it's scary because I understand the fear of people, the fear of coming out, and right. especially to your family. And I get that, but it's also... You know, I, I'm dating and I use dating apps and like my one of my best friends is a cop and I always anytime I'm going on a date until it's like the third or fourth date, basically, mm -hmm. I always tell him where I'm going to be, when I'm going to be there. And I always say, I'm going to check in with you by this time. And if I don't call me and if I don't answer, send an officer to this location. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I will literally reach for my phone if like a date's going well, it's 10 p.m. That's usually the time where I'm like, I'm going to check in by 10 and right. I'll reach for my phone and look my date square in the eye and be like, I'm sorry to be rude for texting, but my best friend who's a cop is expecting me to check in by 10 and we'll send an officer here if he doesn't hear from me. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Why am I still single? Straight. <laughs> no, you know what? Do it. You need to do it. But oh. I would rather be alone than dead. But a lot well, of these. Also, any guy who's just like, yeah, like that is a really awesome thing for you to do, especially as a single woman going on a blind date. Like that's the kind of oh, person yeah. you want as I've a boyfriend never, anyway. Right. I've never gotten pushback about it from any of my dates. Usually it's just like kind of something that we laugh about. Right. And then usually it turns into, wow, it's really sad that that's even something you need to do. And I'm going to like, yeah, do better. Yeah. Men. Fucking patriarchy. <laughs> this is just one small step in my daily safety regimen. Right. Exactly. Um, but anyway, a lot of these guys, yeah, they weren't telling their families. A lot of them were married to women, um, had kids. One of them, his father was an imam. 
and very against homosexuality. Ooh. So they just, yeah, they were keeping it under wraps, except for Andrew Kinsman, who, who was openly gay. He was one of the only P white people, right, too? I think he's white. His, I don't know for sure that he would just be, you know, self-identify as just white or Caucasian, but I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, on February 8th, 2019, Bruce MacArthur was sentenced to life imprisonment with no possibility for parole for 25 years. That is not enough. What the mm, fuck? Never enough. So, yes. Didn't, he killed upwards of, like, six fucking people. He killed, five people. He killed eight people. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. So, upwards. Yep. My math is still right. Right. At least, because now he's, like, also a fucking sock dude. They have to go back decades <laughs> to figure that out. Yeah. Follow yeah. the fucking sock trail. Yeah. God. <laughs> um, so, yes, he'll be 91 years old when he can apply for parole and with his health and stuff, people don't think that he will make it that long, but still it's the fucking principle of the matter. And it just seems like an unusually light sentence for a fucking serial killer. Um, and there are some theories as to why he might've been given such a light sentence. So this is a really great quote that I want to end on from someone named RM Vaughn at the globe and mail newspaper. Quote, Mr. MacArthur's crimes are an attack on an entire community, that he acted like a guerrilla soldier hovering around the margins of the gay village and picking off the most vulnerable. For years, and apparently with impunity, Mr. MacArthur reminded us with each missing man he added to his list that there are no real safe spaces for queer men and that our advances in polite society are no protection against violent hatred. Oh. Yeah. That makes me really sad. Told, oh. told you I was going to bring it down, y'all. Cool. And we love you for it. Our sponsor for today's episode is a company we have fallen in love with. It's called Beauty by Design. Yes. So I don't know if y'all can relate to this, but we age. <laughs> and we, age we have... And also, like, not just the fact that we age, but with age does not come perfect skin. I don't know who told me that growing out of acne was a thing, but it's a lie. I've still had it well into my late 20s and now my 30s. It's very frustrating. And there's a million products out there that all tell you that they can help. And it's like trying to navigate this plethora of products. It's too hard. It's way too hard. I had no skincare regimen in place. I was still breaking out. It was just too much. Shopping for these products was a nightmare. Like walking up and down the aisle not knowing what I'm looking for was the worst. So Beauty by Design is a solution to solving this problem, this nightmare of shopping for products that work for you. It connects you with online estheticians that will diagnose your skin for only $15 and curate the perfect assortment of vegan, cruelty-free, natural products just for you all via text message. It is a millennial dream. Mm-hmm. In under two minutes, you answer a few questions about your skin. You kind of give them your budget so you can put in a price point. And then you send them a makeup-free selfie so they can get a look at your skin and kind of see what you're working with. The best thing is, since it's all through text message, I was able to just chat with my esthetician on my own time. 
Um, her name is Hannah. She was super helpful and sent her that selfie and she just kind of evaluated my skin, listened to my concerns. They asked questions like where you live, what the climate is like there, what your biggest skin concerns are. And then she curated this little skincare regimen that was within my budget of products that were sent to my house. It is amazing. It was so personalized. Like, mm-hmm. hi. And also, we are loving Beauty by Design because it is not a subscription service, so you are not mm-hmm. locked into anything. You get to order the products that you need, when you need them, and also shipping and returns are always free. Always good. Mm-hmm. They have thousands of product combinations that estheticians can choose from to make sure that our skin is ex- gets exactly what it needs. Mm-hmm. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by skincare options out there, because there are like too many, many, too many. Mm-hmm. And if you've been looking for some beauty products that are either healthier, more natural, perfectly tailored to your skin, like you're not alone, then we cannot recommend Beauty by Design enough. So to experience the world's most personalized skincare, go to beautybydesign.com forward slash gals. Um, the first time customers get 20% off. So again, that's beautybydesign.com forward slash gals and use that promo code gals to get 20% off. And a big thank you to Beauty by Design for sponsoring our show. Thank you we so much. You. Thank you also for saving our skin. Hello, mm-hmm. it's February. Hi. It happens. <laughs> Anyone who's had a migraine knows that they are the absolute worst. 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 All three of us have had experience getting migraines before. I get them not super frequently, but often enough that they have gotten in the way of my life. I've had to stay home from class. I've had to reschedule recording sessions for this show. Also, it's very. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really, really frustrating, and I hate waiting forever to get into my doctor, to talk about my migra- migraines, to wait for my medication, to have to then go and fill it at a location. It's just, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And now, it's a little easier to treat your migraine from the comfort of your own home, thanks to Cove. And I can't imagine... Anything more helpful than treating a migraine from the comfort of your own home. Seriously. Cove starts out with a simple consultation by a licensed physician, and then the prescription that they determine is best for you is sent directly to your door. It's amazing. So you don't have to go out and travel in, oh, I don't know, three snowstorms in a row, Minnesota. In pants. In pants to get to the pharmacy to pick up your prescription. No, thank you. (laughs) It's extremely personalized. After your consultation, your doctor creates and tailors your individual course of treatment. Cove then reaches out a few weeks after to see how you're feeling. So they follow up. They check and make sure this medication is working for you. They really are hands-on and want to make sure that this experience is awesome. And also, you know that I personally love a educational component to what we're learning about. So uh, Mm. Cove breaks down everything you need to know about migraines, migraine treatment, why they happen, how you can treat them, etc. It's that that educational component is really valuable to me personally. Also, Mm -hmm. a doctor who is licensed to practice medicine in the state that you live in will be the one who prescribes your monthly medication and who oversees your progress. So, like, again, it's somebody who's licensed in your state. Mm -hmm. Incredibly helpful. Yeah. Yes, you can help them. They, They are helpful to you. Also, 
all migraine medication is prescribed by the doctors at Cove and is FDA approved. So mm-hmm. if you suffer from migraines, the last thing you need is to have to wait to see your doctor. Hello, hello, hello. Yep, yep. Uh, with Cove, there's finally a way to get the help that you need when you need it. And when you use our special link, you get your first month of treatment for free. 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 99 pounds. Free, free, free. <laughs> Um, go to withcove.com forward slash gals. That's G-A-L-S. Again, that's W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com forward slash G-A-L-S. And you get that first month for free. So treat yo my grunts. Yeah, seriously, treat your aching head. So this... I already talked to both of you about this because I was so fucking excited when it happened. Mm-hmm. But um, for those of you who don't know, I was recently in Los Angeles and I had the absolute privilege of going to the Museum of Death in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I want to do is just give a quick little rundown of all of the fucking fascinating things that they have there because I haven't told you guys details yet and I really think you'd enjoy it. So... Yeah. Story behind the Museum of Death. It opened first in 1995 at its original location in San Diego by J.D. Healy and Catherine Schultz. And so they, I think they had some items to display, and then they also wrote to serial killers who were in jail and had them, like, send them artwork and displayed their letters and things like that. So they kind of built up that content themselves by, like, just writing fucking letters to them, which... It's creepy. Um, they also bought stuff at police auctions, etc. Amazing. And at some point, they acquired a bunch of Heaven's Gate paraphernalia. <gasps> oh, my favorite cult. Oh, yeah. We'll get back to this. <gasps> oh. Um, and that alone. Okay, so I'll just say it now. So in the museum, they have one of the actual bunk beds. <gasps> they have... Two of the actual purple shrouds that they had over their faces. They had the black uh, sweatpants. They had the Nike tennis shoes. They had uh, bottles of vodka and um, like a television and some other things that were actually in the house when the police finally got there and like, you know, took everything away. Um, so there is a room in the Museum of Death that you can look through, like, through a window, and it's a recreation of one of the rooms that these people, you know, d- killed themselves in. Um, and then on the TV, they're playing uh, the dude who was the head of this cult. I can't think of his name offhand, but you know how he had, like, scary eyes, and he's, like, kind of older, and he has, like, mm-hmm. a very wrinkled forehead, and he's talking really yeah. enthusiastically about, like, catching this starship into mm-hmm. whatever. Tea or um, dough. So that's, yep, exactly. So that's playing um, on the TV in this room that they have set up, and then they have, like, fake bodies underneath those purple shrouds, like, dressed in the clothes, laying on the bunk bed, and it's, like, oh, <laughs> no. It's so eerie. Wait, they and have, the like, guy- mannequins dressed up in the thing on the bed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the guy who worked there said that the oh, there was only one item in that room that wasn't actually from the crime scene. And I forgot. It was like a Coke can or something. There was one thing that wasn't actually there. Everything else was. So they acquired all of this Heaven's Gate stuff. And then that became a major draw to their museum. But the landlords, I believe, were offended by it because, like, 
I can see how they might be offended by it and kicked them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had to relocate their museum to Hollywood, and that's where it currently is. And there is another location in New Orleans um, because they can only display about one-third of their items at their Hollywood location. So you bet your sweet buttered buns that we're going <laughs> to go there when we're in New Orleans for crime con. Yes. Yes. I love it. Oh, yes. my God. Um, and their Wikipedia page says, so one of the things that they have there is the decapitated head of a man named Henri Landru, also known as Bluebeard of Gambays. Um, oh, I feel like I've heard of this person. Yeah, why is this familiar? I think that he was, did we touch on it in Vampires? There was a well, decapitated head in Vampires. Uh, I feel like we've touched on this, but I don't really remember. And I think he killed a bunch of women in France. Uh, and they killed him via the guillotine. And so they have that head, this like mummified, severed head under in a glass case there. And it's really wild to look at. Um, but I guess that's apparently their most notable piece. I would disagree because there is so much cool shit in there that like, okay, severed head, big deal. <laughs> It couldn't have been the vampire guy that we covered because that head was destroyed, I remember. Yeah. Yes, they do. There are some things about that guy. Um, what's his name? Do, do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. French vampire guy. Anyway, there is some. there are some things in there, but they have a very strict no photography policy for obvious reasons. And I did not want to risk be having a lifetime ban, so I mm -hmm. didn't take any photos except in the bathroom because the bathroom was Elvis-themed. There are photos <gasps> on the drive that I will direct you to now. I kind of had an Elvis-themed bathroom growing up. Do you guys remember? I do. Was mm -hmm. that on purpose for, like, gory reasons because Elvis died in the bathroom, allegedly? Maybe in my eight-year-old brain, no, but to my mother, probably. That's all <laughs> clicking into place now that you say that. So there, so there's a poster, an Elvis poster in this bathroom, and it's an illustration. If you look kind of closely, it says the king on his throne, and it's sort of a gaudy drawing of a dead Elvis on the toilet. Damn. Oh, this place is dark. I love I it. I will say, yes, it's very dark. It's very irreverent. There are things that you're just got. I mean, there are, there are crime scene photos from, um, like, the Manson murders, like photographs oh. that I've never seen before. Um, photos from the Kennedy assassination, including allegedly Kennedy's autopsy photos, which the CIA claims doesn't exist. But like I saw some photos and you could see a face and it really fucking looks like JFK. So mm -hmm. what, you know, they might have prints there. Um, wow. There are, let's see. So in terms of like emotion, there are a lot of things that many people, probably most people, would think are very tasteless. Like, there's a whole wall of just car crash photos, which Oof. is just like, okay, now we're just looking at a ton of dead Weird, gory bodies. Shit. The people died very violent deaths. It's like kind of gawking. It felt really kind of wrong to just sort of be looking at. Yeah. Um, but it runs the gamut between that and then they all have a whole room of taxidermied animals and they talk about like taxidermy. Okay. Um, anything anything related to death. They have a whole room full of funeral stuff, autopsy stuff. And in the funeral room, there were um, a bunch of matchbooks, like 
tacked to the wall because, you know, matchbooks at a time uh, were very popular marketing tools. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how people would have put their ads on a matchbook. So there's, like, a wall with hundreds of matchbooks from funeral homes. Oh. And also paper fans from funeral homes because I'd imagine they get kind of warm <gasps> in there. Oh. oh, my God. Oh. Oh. Um, oh. I just got a oh, whiff no. of my own imagination. I don't like that at all. <laughs> um, they also have an annual Black Dahlia lookalike contest. So, oh my you know, <laughs> they have fun. They have fun with it. It's not for everybody. And it, but my point is, there's just a, a scale. It goes through the gamut of like things that you would find like actually informational Academic. and tasteful, yeah. and then like super not. So okay, all right. So be forewarned. Mm-hmm. All right. They have um, Gacy artwork. They have that f- that no. semi-famous no. Pogo self-portrait. Oh, my God. No. Oh, my they God. They have that there. They have a bunch of Richard Ramirez correspondence. Um, there's some really icky drawings by Richard Ramirez of just, like, kind of monster faces. And then one of them says, Happy Valentine's Day to my friends. Monster which faces is like this creepy ass self-portraits. Super creepy. Um Let's see. They've got oh Pogo's shoes. They have the clown shoes. Oh, all no, right. enough with that. Yeah. Move on. You sold something me. else. You've sold me. Okay, there's just a couple more things that I want to touch on. They have a um, in the funeral room. They have a folding corpse table that was used um, before they had, like, refrigeration and before they had a lot of funeral homes to keep bodies in. They'd have them in the person's residence. So you'd put the body on this folding table, which was metal, and it could be raised to, quote, keep the vermin away. And then there are holes in the bottom of the table to drain any fluids. And then the holes, they designed the holes in patterns to like actually read the words of the company that made this table so that table itself was a fucking ad mm-hmm. uh, that's okay. a little much I don't need ads literally everywhere and I'm basically a capitalist so yeah well yeah I don't know but it's not like there was like TV yeah so it was from a long time ago. So the taxidermy room, they have Liberace's stuffed cat, whose name was Candy, short for Candelabra. Ah! Um, oh, my God. Oh, they had, my God. They had um, one of Jane Mansfield's chihuahuas who was in the car with her when she had her fatal car accident. The, her dogs also died because it was a and really who, bad car accident. And they stuffed them? They stuffed at least one of her chihuahuas. And he's really cute. Like family members it, did that? I don't know. Someone did it. I don't know who. Um, Highlights. I pooped in the Elvis bathroom. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then also my mom was starting to like feel a little bit faint and she just wanted to sit down and have a breather. So she went into their theater room where they just show videos of autopsies to recover. Good. good. (laughs) (laughs) Apple does not fall far from the tree. Let me just say. And last but not least, their gift shop is fu-fucking-nominal. We're going at at minimum for the gift shop. I spent $91 in that gift shop. (laughs) There is also a photo on the drive of my cat Ray wearing his new Museum of Death t-shirt. I got a shirt for my cat. Amazing. Um, 
So yeah, that kind of covers the Museum of Death. And then last but not least, I wanted to share um, a, an obituary with you. And this yes. obit comes, it was sent to us from listener Caitlin R. I'm not going to say your last name because I didn't actually ask your permission to read your name. So Caitlin <laughs> R. Um, sent uh, an obituary and then it was also written up in the Star Tribune. So this is from the Star Tribune article and then I'm going to read a couple sections from the obituary itself. <clears throat> Larry England was a DJ, writer, and activist, and a bit of a character on the Twin Cities music scene. He was the kind of guy who would write his own obituary mm-hmm. goals. England of St. Paul died Saturday, this was early February, so it was a couple weeks ago, of stomach cancer. He was 73 years old. He spun records on KFAI and KBEM community radio and in clubs and restaurants. He wrote articles for City Pages, The Jazz Police, and The (laughs) Highland Villager. The Jazz Police. The Jazz Police. He helped student musicians as a board member of the Dakota Foundation for Jazz Education and contributed to the music scene in the Twin Cities uh, Jazz Festival. In 2018, the Jazz Journalists Association (laughs) recognized England with the Jazz Hero Award. So he was super into jazz, like local jazz. Jazzy jazz. Okay. Given to wearing Hawaiian shirts and a Panama hat in the summer and a suit coat and fedora in the winter, England went to many concerts around town. There is a photo of him on the drive. He is the extremely jovial man in the fedora. Probably didn't even need to mention that. He looks way too similar to Bruce MacArthur. I was like, I don't remember putting that oh, photo yeah. of Bruce MacArthur like on the drive. Like they a happy, do look alike. I know. That's unfortunate. Oh, no. Oh, that, no. That was an unfortunate coincidence. Okay. okay. <laughs> I like Larry England a lot more than Hell, Bruce MacArthur. He's a jazz hero, not a serial he killer. Is. Presumably. Quote, Quote, he was always styling, but not show-off styling, says Jackson (laughs) Buck, a longtime friend and colleague at KFAL, or KFAI. I've never seen anybody attend so many concerts and performances. He'd go to two, three, four shows a night. He was quite the scenester. (laughs) So Minnesota. So he wrote his own obituary and posted it initially as a blog post on his own blog, rhythmandgrooves.net. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And I'm going to read part of it. Well, it appears that I've died. <laughs> Passed away, departed, checked out, left this earthly veil, kicked the bucket, left town. You get the idea. <laughs> I went home, as it were, on Saturday, February 2nd, 2019, at the age of 73, after lengthy treatments for stomach cancer. I am survived by Liz, my loving wife of 23 years. And then he kind of talks about his history, and then he says, here are a few things I have learned in no particular order. Mm, Dispensing some wisdom. it's, it's, It's helpful. When working road construction, never, ever leave your lunch bucket where it can get run over by a truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, good to know. Mm-hmm. When the computer asks, delete file, always take a moment and a deep breath before hitting the key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Amazing. I'm sensing some personal experience with some of these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are stories. Even if it's after midnight and you're 
dead tired from working 14 hours, always take a shower after spending an evening cleaning a turkey processing plant. Oh, 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 God. He did some jobs before he became a jazz scenester. Oh, he had like 28 jobs or something ridiculous, and they were all really different. And something tells me that Liz had a little something to say about him not showering that fateful evening. Oh, my God. Turkey prost. I can't. Okay. This is my favorite. This, This is my favorite one. It made me laugh really hard out loud when I read it. Having the Pope in town is no guarantee for success in selling Pope (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts. Oh, he had a failed endeavor. (laughs) He tried. He's so cute. Um, Always be open to exploration, even if it's just trying some new food. Mm -hmm. The more you travel, the more you understand the traits that tie us together. Uh, are stronger than the traits that separate us. And lastly, having a partner that can use humor to point out foibles and miscommunications helps us keep a relation helps keep a relationship on an even happy keel. I like him. Yeah. So he uh, ends his obit with that's it. It's been a good life. I'm leaving behind a loving wife, Liz, whom I adore two sisters, Janet and Renee and a passel of nieces, nephews, cousins, and many, many good-hearted, loving friends. Thanks to everyone for their support during these last few years. See you on the other side, wherever that may be. Oh, I want to start writing it. down my my earthly wisdom <laughs> for my own obit. The Pope t-shirts. <laughs> I, I will be preparing my own obit. I don't if, trust either of you. If anyone you has... <laughs> Uh, one of these Pope t-shirts. I don't want a general Pope t-shirt. I want one of his Pope t-shirts. So if you have yep. a Pope t-shirt from like when the Pope visited the Twin Cities, no idea when that we was. We want a photo. We, we want, a photo. want the shirt. Well, yeah, but they don't want to part with that. I at least want to see a picture of the shirt. Okay. All right. Minimum photo. Let's not ask too much. Picks or Bonus points happen. if you send us the exactly. shirt. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. So that's well, my that's today's core in our corner. I love it. I love it. Good work. Nice work. All right. Well, this nice work to you too. This has been gossip at the corpse cart numero dos, yeah. and we'll see what format. Come back next month. I'm gonna have more on. juicy headlines, y'all. Yeah. Love Hopefully you. Some more Can't museums wait. of death under my belt. Oh yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, Till next thanks. month. Bye. Bye. Bye.